0: Welcome, welcome to another Monkey Business Show. Today I have Mike and Peter as my two specialists and analysts. Because we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in esports right now, Dota versus Worlds versus other titles. How are you guys doing?
1: I'm doing pretty good. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I actually finished up a, a podcast of my own right before this, so I got, to, I got a uh-huh. back-to-back here. So uh, really excited to be on this podcast with UJ and maybe not the Dota players for once so we can talk about you know, <laughs> esports at, at a higher level.
2: No offense Absolutely. to them. I'm not,
1: right. I'm not trying to like bag on. I'm just saying like different conversations. <laughs> like we, we always talk about like Dota players this, and the drama. The late night stuff.
2: adult conversations. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm doing well. Thanks, Jay. I appreciate
0: you asking how I'm doing. It's 10 o'clock here. I'm <laughs> sipping my green tea. Awesome. Well, I appreciate the effort. So look for the audience that is watching today. Uh, we're going to have a little bit more of a high level conversation about what we think is happening in esports. And we're going to, you know, maybe it's a little bit less chatty or <laughs> family, family-friendly, you know that other podcast. But I think it's an important conversation, and I brought it to, in my opinion, two of the smartest people out there. And Peter has seen a lot of the things inside Dora, but also outside Dora, in his new position and in the, in the last few years. So I think bouncing this information with him will be actually really cool, you know, for you guys to watch. So, yep. Yeah, if you guys want to go right into it, um, so uh, the first thing I want to talk about is how the changes in Dora has affected Dora right now and obviously the first one was the battle pass the battle pass right now it's in numbers that are very worrisome we are what right now what around 14 under 14 million which really makes it the smaller ti price pool since 2017 or something like that math where are we at with it
1: yeah i think it was on pace with the 2016 one right now so Mm -hmm. It's it's uh, not behind what, you know, people have, you know, grown to expect, right? Like generally mm-hmm. every year it's been growing and growing and growing. People see that as a sign as like the game is growing. We're making positive progress. But, you know, this has been like that first time where people are like, hmm, yeah, it's probably not going to be the same amount of prize money. Bit of a reality check. Maybe just, I mean, do you feel like it's only because of the way like Valve designed it? Or do you feel like it's more of... And overall, like, people are spending less because, you know, I don't know, the economy is, like, in a challenging time. Like, what do you guys feel like is the the main thing here?
0: Well, Mike and I speak a lot about this, and I'm going to set you up, Mike, so you can have more or less the answer. Uh, we have feel a correction right now. There's a big correction happening right now, and it's because during COVID, we got used to numbers and situations that are not really sustainable anymore. Mike, can you talk a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah. So basically the way we look at it, right, is, you know, during COVID people have, you know, all the loans are on pause, things are in forbearance. So there's a, you know, there's a higher amount of disposable income, but there's a higher, you know, um, amount of time that people can actually, you know, they're not going to the office. They can spend consuming all this content. So, you know, I think you start seeing a lot of these numbers in viewership, a lot of the numbers from, um, you know, people buying things that, you know, keep them happy during the pandemic. You know, a lot of this got inflated. Um, So I think there's some of that gets corrected. but I think what we're seeing this year is the combination of that returning to normal. I think a lot of games are starting to plateau back to um, not necessarily pre COVID viewership levels, but the viewership is dropping from those highs. So if you were expecting it to just kind of go to the moon consistently, you know, that's not the case. That's to redistribute out amongst the games that people want to be dedicated to. But at the same time, then we kind of talk about the other side of it where, you know, the, sh- the fundamental structure and quality of the battle pass also changes. So you take the natural. Kind of redistribution of viewership and redistribution of you know what people want to spend their time and money on and then also give it a lower quality you know people are going to put something into a, you know what they feel like they're gonna get the best value for and i don't think that's going to be the battle pass so obviously the you know the price will then uh then suffers astronomically i think it's actually worse than we expected you know i would say there should have been a dip 100 percent. but you know to return six years into the past on on price pool levels you know i think that's a, a pretty shocking figure for a lot of us
0: and what i will add is that obviously what he's saying mike is people have more money during the pandemic and people have more time to watch things therefore their attention was drifting to those other poss- uh, possibilities but also some of the biggest main let's say entertainment things that can entertain you were not lot allow- were not available movies were not really a thing then la liga or like some of these big uh, competitions were not available so people's attention went somewhere else. Now that they are back, their attention goes back to where it was. And Mike also talks about the product. The product maybe is not what people were excited about. And I think that this is a very key point as well, because the product is very, very underwhelming. But Valve was trying to do something different. They had a battle, sh- a battle pass that is shorter. They have a battle pass that maybe thematically is not as well wrapped as the other battle passes. But one of the key things is that they divided the Battle Pass into two parts, the parts before TI, they will go, the money will go to TI and the part after TI that I don't know where the money goes. And it's made a lot of, let's say that the coming soon's and the exciting things where people don't know in a way where the money is going to funnel anymore. And I don't know if you guys, do you play a lot of Dota now, Peter? Do you, have you seen the Battle Pass more or less?
1: Uh, I'm. I don't play yet. I haven't played Dota in a while, so (laughs) I'm I'm kind of familiar with the like you know as you mentioned, like they kind of put like half and half on it. But Mm -hmm. I have I don't know like the ins and outs of how the battle pass is working.
0: So to make it very very broad, like remember before there was not a lot of skins that had effects. There there were not a lot. There was not a lot of uh, bundles or a lot of things that have effects or lighting effects or like anything that will change this, this. But now we have, after many years, we have so many of them. So now having an effect is not really a big deal because I already have, I'm replacing effects on, on heroes. Yeah. And, you know, we have like the big theme, which was the Crimson for TI, just the red. And it was be, remember, it used to be like super cool. Shit, you had the Crimson from the Spectre, you were the big boss. But everybody has new fucking lighting things and yellows <laughs> and blues and sparkles and, yeah, and not China, special. So, anymore, so it's like, right? what I, correct. What is the line of uh, if everybody is uh, special, is special, you know, like every hero right now has so many mm-hmm. things that I, uh, I don't see the reason to buy it anymore.
1: I think like for the cosmetics, I-, I was never a big cosmetics buyer myself, but I think for people who maybe only play like a couple heroes, like if you played the game very casually, you might only play of like five heroes, maybe less. Right. And so whenever there'd be like a new skin for your hero, you would buy it and it would give you like another... Kind of like maybe reinvigorate your interest in playing Dota.
0: Yeah, Valve have it's over saturation again of content, of skins, of many things, and I think Valve has tried to do something because the stickers have not generated interest, and there's nothing to do with the sticker. You cannot put it on the middle of the weapon or something. So by having not utility, then what are you buying the sticker for? So you can put it in an album that comes out at the end of the game. Sorry, no enough. There is a product problem here.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. That makes sense.
0: And it also creates a more complicated thing because we are all playing TI because of the massive price pool. I mean, we have to play TI, but there's so much of the money in one center event that the whole year is qualifiers of qualifiers of qualifiers to TI. So if that price pool is not massive and you don't spread any money to the other events and then your battle pass as a team is not making you money It's like compounding you're like putting shit on top of each other you know and it's just more concentrated shit at this point
1: yeah well i think the ti prize pool was like i mean let's be honest it was so high man like 40 million dollars for a dota 2 tournament like that's an insane number and here's the thing is like now these players you know instead of winning 4 million each they're gonna win million each and i think that everybody is just going to keep going at it the same way if they were like into dota before but ah uh, you know last place at ti is like a hundred thousand dollars per person or something that's a life-changing amount of money for like just about anybody at such a young age i don't know it's correct it, 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 so it, it just has so far it has so far to fall is what i'm saying before i think it really gets you on think so
0: okay well let me tell you how far you fall because if you are not making it to ti how much money do you make as a player
1: you make zero it's, it's devastating zero. yeah you yeah. have to be that's so like, that's my that's problem esports is a young man's game because you kind of have to be like living off your parents or somebody in order to kind of really put the time in to get it done and everybody aspires to have this like path to pro semi-pro experience but it's just so difficult to actually execute and valve does not put in any time doing that just about so you know there's just not it's just not a winning formula over here for like long term mm-hmm.
2: yeah it creates this like it basically makes a bimodal system where the only people who can actually afford to do it are people who have like low risk essentially like young kids who are coming up because you know they have their whole future so they can afford to invest the time or the people who are actually financially well off your veteran players who've done this and have won and have those recognitions but anybody who's caught in the middle you know there's you know there's a real trade-off that they have to consider right is you know maybe i'm on a an org and i'm getting a few thousand a month salary or something like that you know you're living you're scraping by and if you don't make it to ti like you gotta scrape by again it's like well maybe you can go to school you can do something else with your time so it forces that entire middle out and then everybody who's young faces the same consequence right it's like do I really want to make that next step or do I just want to transition into something else? And we had that. We were talking about a little bit before was like, you look at like the league ecosystem, you look at other ecosystems that are franchised and it's more distributed, like prize money. Isn't the determining factor. There's a little bit more stability across the ecosystem. Um, and there's supposed to be a, a path to pro. I mean, we don't talk about like the whole path to pro failure across every other esport, but um but yeah, it's really pronounced in Dota where it's like, here's the big show if you don't qualify for the qualifier to the qualifier to make it there you're done and if you are lucky enough to be somebody who's got the resources or the time to commit back into it that's it you're you could waste an entire year of your life and have zero to show for or less you could have been spending money to do all this stuff and time and you know you're set back but you know if it's 40 million dollars it's enticing i'll play that game but when it becomes uh you know 15 you know then then i'm gonna weigh my options a bit differently
0: So we conducted a study and we saw that people that played Dota were raised mostly in wealthy households. In households where both parents were working or one of the parents was able to bring a single income, but it was high income, high income houses. Because of what Mike said, in order for you to be able to play Dota continuously and seriously and exclusively, you either have to be very, very young you have to be financially well off because your parents simply have money for you to play, or you have to be successful very early in your career, which allows you to play because you already made your money. That in a way, like Mike said, eliminates the whole half.
1: Yeah, that's pretty wild. So, I Peter, think the like the regional the regional leagues, mm-hmm. like the prize money was just like uh I don't know, not like it's almost like insulting. Like like first place for the regional league is like 30 grand. <laughs> Like, what? Like that's Split like,
2: five ways, at least.
1: Yeah, because yeah. I, played, I played in one of the seasons in NA, DPC, if you remember, with, like, Fear and mm-hmm. Moo and Snake King, and, uh, you know, I, I, the price pool is, like, pretty even down the ways, but it's, like, you know, we're thinking, like, man, even if we win this, this is, like, what is it, like, five, six grand a player uh, for first? Yep. So it's just, like, that's, like, not even rent in America for three months. <laughs> like, I gotta yeah. you know, also have a job. To support myself.
0: We have a system where if you are a team and a player and you do not make it to TI, your whole year is an absolute failure.
1: Yeah, for sure. That's
0: it. Failure. There is no no other way to catalog it. And it's so, been like that forever, there is,
1: by the way. Yeah. It's been like that, you know, since since I played in like 2014. Same thing. Like, you even as a caster, it's funny. You like judge your success on the year. Like, did I get invited to TI or didn't I? Because... Caster, you go there and you get your, you know, your big payday for the year sort of thing. And same thing as a player, right?
0: So, Peter, are we getting spoiled? Is that my question for you? Because if you look at about five years and we're like, well, you're still, like you said, you still have a lot of room to fall. Well, things have not really been bad. Or maybe it's just my bios that is like, okay, this tastes like shit right now. But it's not really that bad.
1: Yeah. I mean, that makes total sense to me. Other games are going to be more favorable for esports, depending on who's running the programs and who's funding the programs. So it's really nice when like a really involved game developer who is paying for everything is actually like putting their money where their mouth is and like actively participating.
0: It really starts becoming like the correction, like we were talking about is happening so fast in esports. and. My question to you, Mike, is, is this correction affecting the other esports as gruesomely as it's affecting Dota?
2: Yeah, I would say in different sectors, right? I think, you know, the biggest, I mean, there's a couple of pieces to play around with, right? Because there's a level of involvement by the publishers themselves um, that are trying to intervene. But, you know, you could look at Overwatch League as one of them, right? That's pretty, pretty stark from where it started uh, back in 2018, to where it is now obviously from a viewership and commercial perspective obviously there's a lot of stuff with uh, activision that's been happening outside as well that's been impacting that and accelerating that uh, process north american league of legends is another one um viewership's been declining <laughs> pretty consistently in the, in the region um there's been a i believe what was it the FlyQuest um ownership just changed in north america as well um it's been following off the back of you know a few orgs that have been rumored to look to sell We've been seeing that in, in EU as well. Um, but yeah, I think the biggest thing uh, is that there's just a lot of, you know, teams getting, you know, squeezed out or not seeing the, the same, you know, returns that they would have expected. Um, I think when all this VC came in early 20, you know, 2016 is really when it started 2016, 2017, but kind of picked up towards 2018. I think once that all, you know, we're starting to hit the end of that five year expectation for a return Uh, and a lot of people probably started seeing the writing on the wall pretty quickly uh, with the money that was getting burned in in all these esport titles so yeah i think um, i think people are starting to cut their losses i mean a lot of opex cuts coming across the board for a lot of things and a lot of you know prioritization for where you're putting your capital um you know even team side right not to jump around too much but like teams are making games energy drinks sandwiches uh anything else but esports you know they're still playing them because they have a fan base to connect to but now it's just part of the funnel to drive them to an actual, uh, you know, a separate product,
0: essentially. So let me put in maybe simpler words some of the things that you expect, <laughs> expect explain, sorry. Okay, so when you get investment and a team gets investment, you know, you, somebody is giving you money because they want to make money out of you. It's actually very simple. And they give you money with expectations that how many years it's going to take them to make money back or how many years do they have for this thing that they're buying into to be worth a lot of money. So you have, in a way, real estate. This is my area. So after five years of promises and projections, a lot of people are seeing that their investment was not a good one. For example, Overwatch. In Overwatch, a lot of people were given an opportunity to buy a franchise slot in order to play on this game while nobody else could play. So you reduced the amount of teams that were playing just to the people that could afford it. And those people were, in my opinion, wealthy, smart <laughs> companies and individuals behind those teams. And they thought, well, if this is like the NBA, which is a low franchise league or like League of Legends, this will work. Well, even though the, it would be arguably arguable to say how much money they actually spent on the franchise, let's just say that each one of the teams paid $10 million. And now that is not really worth it a lot, which now investors are start thinking, should I have done something different with my money? And now we've seen, in my opinion, the first real failure of esports. I mean, from what we know, uh, teams are not going to have to pay all the money that they once were to say, but we don't think that the league has right now produced any profits. And the idea of these leagues are that you invest this money, but when the leagues make money, then the teams directly benefit from the profitability of the league. But they've never made the league profitable. So you've never really taken money out. You're just putting money in. Call of Duty was a great game. And when it was pl- played by everybody, it was healthy and it was pretty fun and the tournaments were really cool. The moment they franchise it, the viewership is simply not there. Yes, for the big games, the viewership is always there for every game. But the question is, is it there for every day's games? You know, is there enough interest on the league? Peter, from your perspective, what do you thought about when Overwatch launched? What do you thought two years into Overwatch and what do you think about Overwatch right now?
1: Oh man. Um, Well, I think you're kind of right. Like, I think people were sold kind of a fantasy that wasn't real. Um it did kind of create uh, I don't know. It created a lot of jobs in esports, definitely. But was it like a good investment? I think definitely not. Um, and it is kind of funny that, you know, it is twenty twenty-two, right? Like these investments and stuff were starting to pick up in these esport teams in twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen. And I guess you're right, like people are kind of coming around thinking like are you guys raising again? Like how my you know, how is my investment growing here? And in the reality, it's just isn't growing, right? It's kind of just headed to
0: closer to zero, you know? Yep. And I have a question for both of you. Do you guys thought that the product of Overwatch League was good or was bad? Like didn't it didn't work because it was not a good game or not a good product? So or is it just I- because they created an artificial environment?
1: I think it's because they're creating the artificial environment. I feel like people are really adverse to actually just kind of um, growing their game in their community slowly. I think that's one of the great things about Dota and CS is that you kind of had this like seven year saturation period back when people were playing uh, like CS 1.6 and Dota 1, where this game grew this like massive, massive fan base that then created an actual demand to understand who was the best at it. And that spawned esports. A lot of people think that you know because Dota and CS and these games have been around so long, they contribute that partially to esports as a you know increasing the shelf life of their game. People have tried to emulate that with other games, almost as a like, hey, we're, you know, we're going to launch our new game with an esports program, but you really need to create a great game that demands to understand who's the best because they find it interesting. And I just don't think that like Overwatch ever had that base community. That was large enough to justify an investment of this level from such, like such a, it's such a large investment, right? Like, you know, how many teams are there? Like you said, like 7 million each, like that's an insane amount of money for like a day one e program.
0: Yep. Yeah. But they thought, you no, know, they thought that I mean, if it's... we go directly, you know, to the best version of the league, the fans will come, you know, like the, you know, build it and fans will come.
1: Yep. For sure. No, I think, uh, I see it a lot and I've been, you know, I see it even in like marketing, um, like game developers, they're so focused on like Twitter and Instagram, and now it's TikTok and all these things, but people aren't thinking about, I think Reddit and Discord is really where people are actually finding valuable information on the internet. Um, and that's kind of where you like, you create these like personal connections and really kind of share what you're passionate about, um, like from friend to friend, which I think is where actually people kind of like, hey, come try this new game, right? Come tr- come play a game of Dota with me. That happens on Discord, not anywhere else. So hmm. um, I think that, yeah, I think that people are just kind of trying to buy esports and they're not willing to kind yeah. of put in the work that it takes to build from zero.
0: I mean, I will play the counterpoint to you. Replicate OG is, let's say, impossible. You cannot replicate OG. So if you have a lot of money and you're, let's say, an owner of a basketball team, you have two choices to fight against OG. You either don't come into Dora at all, and you just ignore this title, or you're gonna have to buy someone that is already has the, the legs and the, the, the roots, you know, into the game. You have to buy OG, or you have to buy Secret, or you have to buy someone else, okay? But if you are an investor, At one point, you say, well, fuck it. Instead of buying someone, what I'm going to do is that I'm going to create another artificial game so I don't even have to compete into Dota, you know? I'm going to create my own alternative. And I think we've seen that none of those alternatives have actually worked. Like Peter was very wisely saying, if the game has fans and the game has a community that plays it, regardless of the franchise or not, the game will work. And if the game doesn't have a player base and a fan base, regardless of how pretty you put it, it just simply doesn't work. Mike said something interesting before. The League of Legends viewership is also correcting and it has gone down. So this is not only a Dota thing that is happening to Dota or to Overwatch. Do you think that the League of Legends correction has to do with where we spoke about at the beginning of the pandemic or has to do with the fact that now there's oversaturation of content? Or my hypothesis is that I think people are not anchored on the game like they thought they were going to be. There is less loyalty to the game that everybody expected. And there is just more things to do with your time. And some of them are more fun than watching maybe the same game again. Mm-hmm. but give me a little bit more of your read Mike into this
2: yeah I think there's a couple because league itself you know this broken up by region so each region is kind of suffering from its own you know its own problems I would say um because as you've seen North American viewership kind of decline uh LEC viewership which is the European league has actually gone up pretty much this is I think this year actually it's plateaued a bit but it's still been much stronger than its North American counterpart. Um, and if you look at the level of investment relative in both of those regions, North America has, you know, I would say two to three times the same level of investment as as Europe. Um, so, you know, you see all this attempt to grab the the North American consumer, right? You want to push all of your marketing terms, but I feel like a lot of the teams in North America don't really have that marketing pull. Um, you know, branding for North American League of Legends is almost unrecognizable. There's nothing really interesting about any of the teams in particular um you know like i've been a fan of league since season two um you know i've been playing League since season two and i've been following lcs since it started you know cloud nine you know is something you know i'd follow they had a great story when they came into the league um tsm team liquid and then you know maybe hundred thieves right those are the big brands um but even still recently tsm's kind of fallen off you know from like a They've, yeah, everyone's had their own controversies, right? We, can, you know, which is separate, but um, you know, it all kind of feels the same. Like the social media accounts feel the same, the branding, the players, everything else feels just homogenous. And maybe that's just me because I've been around it for so long uh, that it doesn't really strike a chord. But when I look at Europe, you see a lot of, uh, which is what I think helped them, is the growth of the regions, of the different countries. Like Spain and France have grown into esports powerhouses. Um, you know, for League of Legends, right? um you could look at koi and k corp right creator driven brands that have really pulled a following and driven that into the league right um and you're seeing that also with you know the expansion into valorant as well with both of those teams you know being able to um to compete there and pull those fan bases so i think that there's at least more from a regional perspective because you don't have that there's no like east coast west coast rivalry in in league of legends for north america right but there could be, a, you know, if you put Koi and K-Corp in a show match, like, you're going to get a full stadium, right? Or if you put Vitality and K-Corp in a show match, which we did for Valorant, I believe, um, you're going to get a full stadium, which they did, right? I think it was, like, 12,500 people coming to an event. Um, and, you know, in terms of the Asian side, like the, you know, LPL, LCK, um, I haven't really followed too much into that. But, you know, their viewership has always been pretty, pretty consistent. It's hard to get an accurate gauge on that. But um you know they've expanded the league i think it's 18 teams in china right so something's got to be going well i mean obviously the huge just population but um if you can expand a franchise league to 18 teams as one of the regions uh, you know it's obviously pretty uh pretty strong and there's a lot of people who are willing to watch and spend money there so um yeah i think each region is really facing their own challenges but i think north america is probably the most dire um out of the major regions at least and you know i don't really see too many avenues for it to to improve because they're not even doing that well in competition right there's no we're all memeing i think north america had its first win at worlds in the group stage today i think they're
0: one in nine right now okay so they're let's one, break down yeah. let me with peter and i will try to break down some of the things that you mentioned <laughs> Go So for number it. one in america it's true that when you have all the teams playing in los angeles all these organizations don't really have a lot of, the keyword is geolocation. Let's say a domestic home market. But America has really cool domestic home markets in college football, college basketball, and obviously the NBA and the NFL. But teams were not really, let's say, geolocated. And now everybody's geolocated in LA. Peter, you've seen a little bit more about this because you've lived already in different cities around the world, in, in America, when you were living in, in, in Texas, when you're living in LA. How, yep. how do you see this failure of creating a domestic market?
1: Yeah, I just feel like it was never really um, real. And I, I feel like it goes back to exactly what I was talking about before. Like you have to really actually reach out to people and create like local opportunities to create a real community. And you have to build that from scratch. And I just think that people were trying to build this just like they just thought they were like famous sports teams showing up to these towns. And it was just not real um so i I think that we're dealing with like a very digitally native audience especially here in america where i don't think we have like a great um i don't know we're not like super prideful in where we're from i think is my interpretation so creating how can you make people feel a part of a thing that's on the internet exclusively um that's the challenge and uh Yeah. You guys, you guys paying attention to nouns esports at all. You guys checking that out?
0: We do. I do a little bit. Yeah. Mostly from you actually (laughs) following your, your breakdown. Okay.
1: Well, that's, you know, that's a very, like everybody gets involved, built an esports team together kind of thing project. So I think it's a really interesting way to create a very passionate fan base that would be willing to spend more money on esports than our current audiences on esport teams.
0: Right. Let's explain a little bit more some of the things that we were saying. Let's just develop a little bit more. So one of the things that Peter was saying is that why would you follow a team just because it's in a region? What is your connection to the region specifically? And we've seen in America that the closest or strongest connections is universities. Where do you went to university with type two, And then you follow that team. So now what Peter is saying is that now we live in a digital world where that connection is not really that strong. So now in a way, is a digital community that has designed, let's say, specific purposes of what they want to do with the money that they put, allocate, all allocate together. And some of those things are not maybe geolocated, but they are in a way, like, what is it called? Like the the centers of passion, you know? Do you have enough passionate people on one point that get together to do one thing? And then if so, how do you conduct that passion into actions? And the money that you put behind—is that more or less mm. accurate, Peter? That's an awesome
1: explanation. I think you, you 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 say it better than I do. So,
0: announce is a digital crypto community that fundraise to di- to do this. Is that correct? And they have specific yeah. initiatives that they want to do.
1: Yeah, exactly. They. Mm-hmm. They kind of elected like a esports group, which I'm a part of. Um, we call it the esports pod to basically spend like six hundred thousand dollars on initiatives over the next however long. And uh, yeah, we're just like signing esport teams and trying to build our community and uh, show people that like. If you, you know, I think building a company is a pretty intimidating thing, right? It's also super risky, especially like if you wanted to go build an esports team in today's market, right? Especially after all the doomsday we've been talking here, like nobody's going to want to do that. You're not going to be able to find investment uh, sort of thing. So this is just um, a different model of investment, I guess. And then uh, people can, it's kind of like something you do in your free time. You know, you don't have to commit your life to it less risk, okay. I think is the idea. You can come and go and not have to like, sign your life away to an uh, in- investor.
0: Okay, I want to bring the conversation back to Europe. So yeah, in Europe- I was gonna I was gonna add here just for the Europe thing.
1: Yeah, um, because I recently was in London for um, the Pokemon event. And I went to my first Premier League game. I saw West Ham play against Brighton. and it was kind of an enlightening experience for me. I never really felt like that environment, but sitting in that stadium with like 99% dudes who are just like swearing, like Twitch chat at the players constantly, it kind of just felt like Europe has just such a better like stadium culture and like team rivalries. And um, I get that like American football is like huge here and baseball did well uh, for a while as well, but, I don't know, soccer feels way different over there, and uh, I get why people are into it. And I feel like that's maybe esports. Esports is kind of like this, like, you know, you talk about Spain and France kind of building their, you know, regional areas, and they have, like, it's such a great rivalry as well. Um, Natural storylines, like, we don't really have that in, like, Overwatch League, for example, here in
0: America. So, to explain it again to people, so, obviously, Europe is a let's say not such a huge continent, but it's fragmented into many, many, many different countries with long stories and rivalries between them. And even inside their own countries, there is massive regional, let's say, cultural differences that make rivalries really big. Obviously I'm generalizing and reducing this a lot, but Madrid and Barcelona inside of Spain are culturally very different and they actually speak a different language. And those rivalries that are socio-political are in a way represented in Real Madrid versus Barcelona being the two biggest teams. So you have a massive internal rivalry inside of Spain. But you also want to beat the Frenchies every single time you have a chance because there is a massive rivalry between Spain and France. And France wants to beat <laughs> the British at any time they have any sport or anything. So now you see some of the esports teams that are trying to establish their fan bases locally. So you have Heretics, that is one of the Spanish teams. Then you have Koi, which is French team. Then you have Vitality. And I think that the next say, step, actually I don't think, I know, that Riot is trying to capitalize on this because of how they chose the teams for the Valorant slots. They chose a specific Spanish teams with regionality french teams to turkish teams you know and then the few well the cis team which is navi and then the few europeans let's say global teams in the middle and they want to activate that local fan base which is one of the things that work good in league of legends but now yeah, they have those, a bunch of teams in the middle that are used But those for
1: teams those teams are there because they chose to be there, right? They didn't just like go there because they were like hey, you could have a franchise slot in the city if you, you know, build there, right? They were like already there.
0: Correct. Correct. It started regionally and then they went up. Valorant's interesting because it has a lot
2: of I think it pulls a lot of the stronger regions together, right? Like things that came out I think, you know, from from Valorant specifically, you have Japan as a power market coming up, as well. Um, which you know, really in esports, you don't really see too much about Japan. A lot of the culture has been pretty conservative, and you know, the only thing that people would really relate to it was like Nintendo fighting games. Essentially, um, they had they have League of Legends, but the only time they get to Worlds is Pokemon you know, Unite.
1: They're the, Pokemon Unite, they're the, yeah, they were one of the they were the most popular region for the game. Its esports yeah. program,
2: Um interestingly and i'll thank julian for this because he's my japanese analyst here um but essentially you know i think it was april of either last year or 2020 i can't remember specifically um but they passed a law to try to encourage the growth of esports which is a monumental step and i think you're starting to see a lot of things there's something around like how the prize pools are connotated with gambling um which is why they can't do it but now we're seeing that evolution um also in turkey has been growing it's one of the was one of the most watched. And I think um, you know, two teams in the in the league now are Turkish teams. So, a lot of growth in that region. Um, if we're looking towards APAC, I mean, they basically picked, um, you know, globally sports as as the Indian uh, powerhouse. You have Talon, Secret. I mean, each of them are picking a specific, almost a specific country in in APAC. Uh, then you have a couple of Japanese, Korean teams as well. So, you're really hitting all the local markets and then North America when they did the Americas League five North American teams and then mm-hmm. essentially five Latam Brazilian teams as well so you know you're basically covering every major market um and getting the biggest names and brands but ones that are you know different enough that you can hopefully draw you know a bunch of um you know all those different individual fan bases from the teams but also like cover enough of the region to just you know be the catch-all net to drive as much viewership as possible for for the game so
0: Okay, but now it's my challenge to you guys. Because in my opinion, they have tested a few different hypotheses. Number one was, let's bring the traditional sport owners that will drive a fan base, which never happened. I don't think anybody follows the Milwaukee Bucks and therefore follows FlyQuest. Never happened. Mm -hmm. Then they kind of said, we'll do super brands. And... In my opinion, that's the only one that has worked (laughs) so far. If you have super brands, people more or less come. But then Mm -hmm. what Mike was saying, which is true, is that a lot of the super brands look and feel exactly the same. I've given you this compliment, Peter, a million times. And it was you and Alex and people that were in EG. EG had a very cool and unique and distinctive vibe to the team. It was a bad voice. And you could love them or hate them, but you knew who they were, you knew how they were, and you knew what the team was all about. In the first iteration, they were buying everybody's players, poaching everybody, and it's like, no, we're EG, and fuck it. And then when Peter and the boys took the team with Sad Boys, you guys had an edge. It was irreverent. It was cool. It was like Tony Stark. But everybody's right now so sanitized. Everybody's just saying, like, the PR thing, that it's just all of them feel exactly the same.
1: Yeah, it's bad, man. It's really bad. I think <laughs> esports is really boring. Uh, at least like the way like all these esports teams are interacting. And uh, mm. I mean, I'll, I'll always be a league hater, but I just can't. I just can't get into the LCS, man. Um. Yeah. yeah
0: I don't know. It's stupid. It, it, they're trying to make like Nickelodeon. There's no personalities. Nothing comes out, and it's just I don't know. It's just it's too. Just...
1: It's just too corporate. I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's my perspective. I mean... but... You need some rowdy. Yeah, things, when you look
2: at like the it. investment. Yeah. I mean, Jay, I think we talked about this. Uh, I don't know if it was two weeks ago, but it was basically like there's this. There's just like when you scale, there's a level of sanitization that you go through for all these companies, right? Because, you know, if you've ever watched the show Shark Tank, essentially, it's like you have a really cool niche product and somebody's like, wow, that's going to hit the markets and be great. But then if you want to put it on the shelves and Target and Walmart and all your major retailers, well, you got to get rid of the curse words. You got to get rid of any of the controversies. It's got to be like, you know, cut down. So it hits the widest possible net. And, but that's the goal of companies, right? It's like, you need to make as much money possible. You need to scale as much as you can. Like that's, that's how this works. And I think maybe the problem with esports. I mean, I think I do think part of the problem is like, when you look at it, not everybody needs to do that. Um, And I think once you go that route and you start pushing for, you know, A globalized audience you're an international team you can start seeing that between like Fnatic, team liquid g2 c9 tsm they're all kind of the same thing there's you know and i mean even with major brands you see it on their twitters now right like the duolingo thing and nickelodeon just you know with the Katy perry award that it's like all corporate twitter accounts have to do the same thing now esports does it so does kfc wendy's whatever they all do the same thing um so as you're pushing this up though, it does give you an opportunity because now they're leaving this niche, they're becoming this the same level of of sanitization. Now you have the niche for you know newer brands to come up and kind of attack that. And then the cycle continues. They get investment, they grow up, they become scaled, and then the ones up here, you know, if they're not good products anymore, they die off, and then the cycle, you know, the cycle of capitalism keeps on going, right? So
0: So I I'll just play one thing, the sanitization, because I don't know how many people are actually gonna get this word. So it means that you have to be let's say always appropriate to everybody so the moment that i operate just in spain i only have to be appropriate to the social constraints of this country but the moment that i operate in 10 15 20 countries every country has their own things that they're sensitive about that you cannot joke about and they're not gonna get your joke and the language doesn't translate which means you can't make any jokes you cannot take any positions You cannot say anything besides happy birthday. You cannot even say Merry Christmas because not everybody has Christmas. You have to say happy holidays. So everybody's message starts changing completely to become this corporate thing because if you don't and you make a mistake and you're going to make it, you're going to get hammered in the head. Um, One thing that I would like to say is I've mentioned this and I had a conversation with Johan about this, and I want people to understand this concept. Let's say that Dota was a small game that was founded and fo- like people of the community were paying money directly to found the international and all that. And there are players that devoted their whole life to grow this game. And I believe that they were vital to making the game what it is right now. But tomorrow, the game is sold from Valve to Activision for $6 billion, and these players are not going to get a check from Valve. So you have, in a way, spent your life making this game what it is without owning anything.
1: Yeah. So that's why I was trying to get that. I was trying to get that Dota 2 org started back in the day with all the players trying to like, Hey, like, let's start running our own tournaments and build our own company and we can, you know, do Mm -hmm. the marketing that valve doesn't seem to care to do. And, you know, fun to like, just kind of create like a, a marketing branch known as esports for valve essentially. But like, man, it's just so hard to mobilize, um, a community like that. And that's where these other games have such an advantage where their developers are willing to sort of, um, go the extra mile and create a really, you know, kind of, I don't know. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like not an incredibly risky sort of life yeah. decision, right? It's like, there's gradual growth here. Um, I, you know, I could, I think people look at league versus Dota and then they think, where's it going to be in five years, right? Especially after this year with the TI prize pool dumping, um, people are going to choose a league like 99
0: times out of, 100 so we need to understand that at the end of the day developers supported esports as a way to market their games esports is a marketing department inside of inside of a game developer and they believe that if they create a cool esport proposition people will come and then eSports is one of the biggest retention tools. Meaning that if you like the eSports, you will stay longer in this title instead of bouncing out to the next shiny new title that comes out. Okay. So eSports make people come to the game and they stay longer in the game, which is what you want as a developer. You want people to stay in your game longer. And we can see how games like Dota and CSGO, in my opinion, will not even survive the first few years without the eSports proposition because that's why we're all still playing the game. First, the game is amazing. Both of those games are amazing. And then we all develop this relationship with the competitive, which is exactly what Peter said, that you actually want to see who the best player is. You want to see it. There's so many people playing that you naturally want to see who the best is. And it creates this alternative. I believe that developers don't think that the esports is the way to bring new players into the game. I think they have now changed into sponsoring uh, streamers, content creators, and people. And they've seen that they drive much faster people into the game, but for a short period of time. It's a much higher burst, but then there is no retention. But in my opinion, in a moment where all these companies that fundraise need to produce results it creates the fastest artificial results possible okay yeah. let's just break that down for a second you need results because if you don't get results right now you're screwed and you produce an artificial result that doesn't carry through time but it allows you to fundraise and to say we're okay we're doing okay we're doing okay right look okay. look we're okay we're okay but there is no longevity meaning no it will not survive a lot of time because it's not built on anything real, once again. Have you guys seen this shift? Well, I
1: definitely get what you're saying. Um, have mm-hmm. I seen it? I don't know. I think there's a lot of I mean that's kind of the modern day marketing, and you're just saying that people are less willing to invest in esports. I still feel like these big esport events do create a lot of, you know, people reinstalling the game or maybe people downloading the game for the first time. I don't know if Dota, like the international, is doing that at this point. It might be like too old of in a game but these like newer games that launch at these big esport programs i think that's part of their goal they see like you know they have so many beats throughout the year that drive you know like a spike in game activity and some of them are like a new hero or uh you know a new champion or whatever but another one might be you know worlds or the international where it's you know they kind of get like all this new attention so i think it's A matter of cost of like as you mentioned like can i get the same bang for my buck without all of the legwork of running you know a year-long esports program with like multiple live events or can we just like pay some influencers and have them stream our game when our new sales when our new cosmetics come out leads to some more poor 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 game development i think a lot of bad games
0: and mike what do you think about this
2: so i think there's i mean for the esports side i think there's an interesting point because like i think there's more efficient routes for like the publisher to monetize against um but at the end of the day you will need to get a community involved and active and i think you know esports is that that niche yet loud community that actually pushes a lot of that you know um that drive because without that like they're the most vocal critics like you're they're not going to be forcing the developers to improve their game as much um you know your pro players and, and those who are really dedicated to high rank are going to be the ones who are saying like hey need these need to get tweaked and you know that's a separate part of the feedback and community that i think people leave out of this um, equation um you know in terms of the marketing right like i can see publishers moving towards a way where you know they're just partnering directly with the um you know the brands right like if you look at worlds like i think um Louis Vuitton does the case for Worlds. Um, the trophy is done by Tiffany's this year. Could be wrong. Um, mm-hmm. They have um, MasterCard, I think, just signed an extension on their partnership, I think, for another five years um, to do with like Worlds as the event itself. And it's like they're drawing all this in. and It's like, okay, but those aren't being redistributed down into the other leagues. It's just like for the publisher, right? So, you know, obviously they're going to run it, you know, whatever cost they can to keep putting on the event because. They're pulling all those revenue streams in, but like what parts are the teams getting? Are they getting, you know, part of the streaming rights deals, right? Which is, that's a big part of a lot of traditional sports is, um, you know, if you look at the NFL deal, right? Like each team is getting billions of dollar, I want to say it's billions, I could be wrong, um, <laughs> of dollars in the, uh, lots of you money. know, a lot of money. Yeah, there's a lot of zeros um, that they're getting. But like, where our esports teams getting that? Our esports team big enough that they're, the esport big enough that they can get that and they command a deal, right? There's no cable television; it's all on Twitch, and Twitch isn't paying, you know, the teams necessarily to run things anymore. You've probably seen a huge drop off on uh, individual teams that get sponsored by Twitch. I don't think they do any team sponsors actually anymore. None of them um, anymore. So yeah, a lot of the traditional models for people getting that revenue um, in normal sports don't exist. So. You know, there's got to be a way to, to activate. So I think right now people are like, who can take the bullet for building the community for us? Because the publisher doesn't want to build the community necessarily. They just want to reap the benefits of it. So there's kind of this, you know, that's the incentive is like, it, can you be a community driver for this? If you can, cool, you can play with the big boys in the franchise league and we'll lock off the communities. Um,
0: that's and obviously you'll have Valorant League of Legends right there. You know, if you yeah. can bring value to us, we will lock the ecosystem for you so you get to be part of it, which is exactly what Riot has done now because before they used to have the barrier of entry of you pay the fee to even be able to play with the big boys. Now, Valorant is saying, no, you don't have to pay anything. We're going to give you the slot through a process where we select the teams. So now think about it. It's genius, dude. It's fucking genius. Riot is there sitting down thinking, what is the combination of teams that we believe that makes them more valuable? That's it. Not what the fans want to see, not what the community, not what the teams, not the brands is. How do we create the ecosystem that we want by cherry picking? So I want to plug a few other holes that we did not cover. Uh, We're going back to Dota for a second. There was a big uh, controversy about the casters and their stickers. I don't know if you follow a lot of these, Peter. But what they did is that they bundle the casters together and you have to click and roll and then you can get one voice. But it was very hard to get the voice that you wanted. And there was a big community outrage about it. But teams are still bundled with each other. And it's not that easy to get the player that you want or the team that you want either. But they haven't unbundled the teams. And I get it. I want everybody to make money. I want casters to make money. I want buffs to make money. I want teams to make money. I want, hopefully, users to make money. Okay? Everybody, I want everybody to make it. But the whole thing that they constantly say is, yes, teams but you have TI price pool. It's the constant constant thing, you know? Well, we have to do this for the casters because the casters don't have TI price pool. But at one point, the price pool is too small on TI where all this house of cards was false. Because at one point, the qualifiers of the qualifiers of the qualifiers and not making any money as a player is granted. Or, because think about it, the 15th or 18th or 20th team in TI right now, it's not going to make more than 30K because the price pool has dropped so much. So like you said, Peter, before the last player, the last team at TI will make 100K. Well, no, they don't. So at what yep. point just the ecosystem is just not holding? You can go to TI, sacrifice a whole year, and still not make enough money to live.
1: Yeah, I think it's Hard. really, yeah, it's, uh, I think the question is, is how much investment is Valve going to continue to put into Dota as it kind mm. of starts to show signs of shrinking or you yeah. know, weakening at the very least. And that could really decide like how fast it kind of goes away for mm. a lot of people.
0: So really unfortunate
1: stuff for Dota right now.
0: So I have, I'm going to take us to a completely different place. I, I'm trying to plug in holes to try I was making notes. We talk about League of Legends and about the different regions. And I'm going to give you a quote from someone from Riot that they gave me. They said, at the end of the day, League of Legends is a flying turtle. We're all in this flying turtle. And in the bottom is China. So really, the whole thing that we're doing in Europe, in North America, and the other regions, is feeding the Chinese ecosystem and the global, globality of the game. But they are kind of willing to take operating losses everywhere else. Just because in China is so stupidly profitable, this game, with the, 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 whatever they have there. Because they have 33 servers in China of League of Legends. This is insane. Crazy.
1: That's crazy.
0: So we constantly talk about LEC, LCS and all that. And I'm constantly thinking about this quote because the truth is, does it really matter to Riot if LCS viewership is down? No, because Chinese teams like dunking on North American teams in Worlds. You need to have a person dunking and a person that is being dunked on, you know?
1: Yeah, but I mean, so, eSports can be for everyone. Not everyone lives in China. Right? You got to have something going else- on elsewhere.
0: Great. But I can see from the level of either investment, education, or simply results that either they do not know how to create results in this region, or maybe it's not simply an objective. It's simply not an objective. What we have to say then is that yes, we want the globality of the game because Chinese teams playing Chinese teams will not really work. So they want the globality of the team. And in a way, my opinion is that Riot makes money here and in a way pulls it out and gets to subsidize the rest of the the ecosystem. I believe that it's actually happening in Europe in Dota. I think there is a specific regions in Dota that are in a way really driving value to invest everywhere else. But we have to do it that way because otherwise we don't have anybody to play against. So it's a necessary thing you're in a way now OG as a team has to be subsidizing the teams that are going to play against me in TI for this incredible amount of money, which is really not in my advantage. But if I don't do that, then I have no one to play against. And there will never be $40 million to play there because the community will not see it. You see, it's a complicated paradigm. You know, if I don't do anything for the other teams, I have no one to play against. But if I do too much for the other teams, then I have too much competition to fight for that only one prize that we have. So it's a complicated, let's say, pool. Mm. Yeah.
2: I mean, look at the Western European viewership, right? For, Or look if you look at Dota, right? It's like us, Secret, Liquid.
0: Enigma has a
2: little Yeah, Enigma, right? So it's like any match you play, like you play Gaiman or you play anybody else, and like you're going to carry the viewership of those games. You're going to carry all those teams. You kind of have to, right? Like ah. by existing, you create the value for those teams.
1: This like the whole esports thing. I think it has to just be one big giant partnership amongst like all of the teams, the game developers, like the players, all of it. And I just think that valve just does not interested in anything like that. So I just think, okay. uh, you know, CS has a pretty decent thing going with the stickers, but like.
0: So I don't know. Peter, I'm gonna give you on wall, I think. Correct. And I'm going to give you something else. I don't think that. This is going to be more complicated to explain to people. But let's say you have leverage. Leverage means power over someone else. Why would the developer of the game. Want to have someone. Who is very powerful. And can be very vocal. Against them. I don't think they care. They want that. So they want eSports to be. A marketing tool for them. To advertise the game, and they want esports to be a retention way for people to stay in the game. But by how it's designed, you will have players and companies and voices that will become very strong. And when they become very strong brands, they can speak against you, and they can rile the community against you. I don't think that the developers want that. So if you give them any kind of alternative for players that they can go. To create similar results even if artificial they're gonna go that way
1: yeah that's a good
0: point In my opinion mm-hmm. from what i can see you know mm-hmm. and it begs the Which question is- of like
2: does mm-hmm. esports need like you know so when you do when you design a game right like either the game is good enough to stand on its own you don't need esports or you designed it intentionally to have esports or the community will build it to have esports i guess you know in those three veins um, if you look at blizzard right like at like the titles they have world of warcraft like millions of people play and buy the game and you know they've tried to develop these scene on the back of it but it's been relatively flat like the biggest thing out of world of warcraft is race to world first right which is an awesome event um but you know people have been plenty crit or have been critical of that game for god knows how long um you know the developer hasn't doesn't really do anything about it right so giving even giving millions of people a platform for one of the biggest titles in the world doesn't doesn't really change much on the other side you have games that are designed specifically for esports even if like those players get a platform to do it um you know the developers still in overwatch league for example is so probably the other side of that coin you know even with that platform yeah it's been shit on but it, ha- it hasn't really changed much as well right so i think uh you know, for what you're getting at in, in both of these games is just that it's, you know, the, the product itself has to still be good. And it's like the community pressure hasn't really done too much, I think, in, in a lot of these titles to actually make it better. Even if you're giving these people platforms and powerful voices, like I haven't seen much of a shift because
0: these companies are just too big now. So Peter, let me ask you something directly to you. At one point, you were a very, very strong voice inside of Dota. And you were very vocal. Do you think that people liked how vocal you were? They were actually, no, I'd rather you not talk.
1: And when you say people, do you mean like Valve? Or do you just mean like the community? In
0: in general, the community, advertisers, other owners, uh, Valve. <laughs>
1: um, I think I'm a pretty ambitious guy. A little bit of an entrepreneur spirit. So I think I was always kind of seen as like a little bit of like a con man in Dota like oh like what's what's Peter's next big business idea for how we're going to change esports um I tried that a couple times in my career and some some ideas were dumber than others but I'd always be trying something um I had a lot of positive interactions with Valve I think over the years um and I think that they were open to a lot of feedback I think that if we as players were like a little bit more organized on our side we could have done a better job of presenting our critiques and i think that because a lot of this comes from not the players i think at least in the beginning um i I don't think that valve was like as willing to come to the table so in this big picture do i think that valve is ever gonna like change things and allow things to be different than they are maybe not but i do think that there were steps that could have been taken if uh, everybody was like a little bit more invested in team dota rather than team whatever they were on that year
0: esports economics i'm gonna make it very very simple very very fast you spend money to put a roster together and pay them salaries whatever it costs boot camps and all that and then you need specific money to run the organization because you need to do social media, you need to do partnership, you need to do operations, you need to do content, you need to do that. Okay? And then how do you make money back? The biggest amount of money that people make is in a sponsorship deals. Meaning I have Red Bull, Red Bull gives me money and in exchange, Red Bull has their own specific objectives inside, the, inside of this field. I have to provide value for them. Three or four years ago, every, most of the, Sponsorship deals where I just want to be seen. So it was an awareness campaign. You just have to put me next to you. But these teams and these companies have become much more specific about what they want. And now it's becoming a performance model where we have to drive specifically value for them where they see the return in investment, ROI meaning if i want to give og hundred thousand dollars, i need to create at least back a hundred thousand of value tangible it has become extremely complicated to actually fulfill those deals
1: yeah Uh, i was going to add like i think you know you mentioned like the whole idea was just getting that awareness that's kind of what's going on with uh like nouns now like that's like the greater nft project and then they're basically funding nouns esports to just be like a marketing arm to not necessarily like help them sell nfts but just to increase brand awareness so that way like you know it's the noggles right have you seen the look like the, the the funny glasses mm-hmm. you know what i'm talking about like that's all they care about is just like that's like their nike swoosh and they just want that to show up in cool spots
0: so and, awareness uh, you need to put it yeah, in exactly. cool places like, cool. and associate cool. yourself with cool things but that's what's
1: funding us it's not like a You know, we're not responsible as a business to kind of like turn revenue around as an esports team Mm. specifically, right? Like you have to kind of be attached to like something larger where you really are just the marketing department.
0: Correct. So now let's talk about what I said. Most of the money comes from sponsorships, but sponsorship dollars are going somewhere else. Why should you sponsor a team when you can sponsor the league or you can sponsor the streamers? But let's say that we still have money for here. Now, if you are a sponsor, you know for a fact that either you are all the way on the top of your game, or you don't really provide a lot of value, which means that there is, we call it oxygen. There is not a lot of oxygen outside of the top. So teams that will run operations in Dota, let's say for half a million dollars, are going to find it very, very hard to find sponsors unless they're creating value for the brand And in order to create value for the brands, you have to be really good. You have to have a big fan base and you have to provide, be very, very on the top, which is very hard by design, which means that you normally need money to first build that competitive team and be very good before you achieve success, before you make enough interest to get brands that make you money. So the money that you fundraise is an acceleration, but sometimes it's just battle. Okay. Another way we make money is with in-game revenue, or in-game things. And in this very broad thing, I can put from stickers to compendium to battle pass, to revenue shares from sponsors in closed leagues. And I would even put price pool. Like all this is money that you make by playing the game. But this money like I presented in the beginning has right now like 90% of them is out. Okay, so now what is the next venue of making money? Oh, we'll sell t-shirts, and we'll sell hoodies. Okay, but the hoodie business has very low margins. It means that for every hoodie or every t-shirt that I make, even though I sell it for 50 bucks, I only keep three or four bucks. So how many hoodies do I have to sell to be able to afford a Dota 2 team? The answer is too many. There is never an audience that can buy as many hoodies to sustain the Dota team. So we have to figure out alternative ways of making money. Because right now, simply with the ecosystem that we have, there is not enough money to run the team or the org, which is why nobody's doing content, which is why people are getting cheaper, which is why we see... People cutting down. Because this is a very simple formula. You either cut down your cost so you can afford it with the sponsorship deals that you have. Or you invest on top, hoping that the revenues will follow you. And everybody has been investing for the last five years and the revenues are not following. Only in very few teams. So now everybody's looking at each other saying, then what the fuck do we do? Again,
1: some stuff we can't talk
0: about currently. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, stuff like this, uh, just things that feel like there's a lack of care to Dota lately. It feels like there has been a shift. I think there's no fucking question about that. There's been some sort of a shift. Uh, and then even things that, uh, I know that there's a, be careful again. There's news coming out after TI from, let's just say, a third party. Not directly related to Valve at all. Once it's announced, it's going to make some waves as well. Uh, the pitchforks will be out most likely. Uh, it's, it's just like domino after domino after domino. Like
0: we know that after TI, there's going to be a few fucking news that the community is going to be outraged about. I don't know if you've seen it, Peter. Have you seen it? I've heard, I've heard rumors of the drama. Um, okay. Yeah. So. There's a few things that we can talk already about. Number one is, Beyond the Summits did not get a DPC. Extremely dramatic. Yep. Okay. These guys have devoted their business and them personally to this game. And yes, like LD said on his post, it's not about not getting in when there's somebody else's competition is doing good, but it's just that they have to face and fight against people that are just fundling money to put them out of business because they don't have to make profit Well BTS has to make profit or have to stop yes. becoming BTS. So yeah, that's I the problem of fragility. We see the the gray
1: label organizations like really struggling to turn a profit on mm-hmm. esports. If you're not you know directly connected to the game dev in some way right like through like a white label production that's like a lot of what we do at esports engine like our clients are the game devs so it's like we have direct access to the cash sprout, right? And their money is coming into us. So like that makes us a viable business long-term. Whereas if you're not a part of that game developers ecosystem in like a major way, it's really hard to justify
0: like long-term investment. Mm -hmm. Correct. Which is why we play or which is why some of these companies are wondering why should we invest in Dota? Look at Blast, they did Bounty Hunter and then they were like, well, why would I, Blast, invest my money that I raised from my investors to grow Dota? No, either you make it financially viable for me or why would I invest money on on you? It's not my job to grow your game, you know? You do it, buddy. So in my opinion, BTS invested their own money in making the community what it is right now. For sure. And now is, well, should Valve be indebted with them forever? Well, no, no, no. I don't have an answer for that. But right now they now don't get a DPC, and that's it. They're out. GG. Mm-hmm. You know, high five. Holy yeah. shit! And, and I like, think it's 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 safe to say that like beyond the summit
1: like didn't lose it because they weren't doing a good job, right? Like they really do like provide like the best casters. They have great content pieces. Like they go above and beyond for Dota in comparison to like what, not like comparing to other. I think everyone. Not all production companies are the same, but I think generally like we've been had pretty good experiences in Dota at least for like the English um streams. Debatable yep. on some of like the remote broadcast stuff that's, you know, more common nowadays, but Beyond the Summit was always, I mean, at least the events that I went to was always really great. So, I'm sure it, it just was came down to like a matter of cost and Beyond the Summit probably just became too expensive, I think is my uh suspicion and Valve just decided to make a
0: financial decision to help them make more money but let's explain this for a second they became too expensive because they have to turn a profit or at least cover cost if yeah. there is a company who has so much money in that it doesn't have to turn a profit it can actually outbid you in the process okay if i have a bottle of water and i don't want to make money i just want to sell you my bottle of water and peter has a bottle of water he has to feed his family and then we say one dollar and i say i give you for free i just blow up the market because you cannot compete against me, but I am okay losing one dollar for this because I have one hundred million dollars, you know, in my bank account. So all I have to do is put you out of business.
2: Yeah, it's a very monopolistic um, mm-hmm. trend for everything, right? It's like there is only going to be a few, you know, a few tos, a few people that are not a few tos. I mean, there are only a few, right? If you think about it, um, a few publishers and a few people in between. Like that's the, that's all the ecosystem can fit in right now. And I'll have the minimum number of teams that I can to support it. And that'll be esports. And at some point, people will just realize, like, you can't grow it anymore. Like, it's it's marginal, not exponential. And then what do you do then? Like, shift to something new? Who knows? I mean, it's a very pessimistic view of it, but it's all working toward, like, all all of this, this you know, the economies work towards being a monopoly
0: effectively, right? So... Beyond the Summit has no, in a way, five year contracts or 10 year contracts. They cannot really develop an investment on this. And in a way, it's very hard to say, okay, if you do these 10 things, you get this deal forever. If you do these 10 things, how do you quantify success? All we know is that they were doing X and that now they're not gonna do it. Whatever reasons, it's not for me to say because I don't know. I don't know if they were producing this or I don't know if they were this. I don't even know who's gonna get. to do DPCs in North America. But it becomes, once again, what I wanted to go back is the leverage. Does the developer want anyone to have leverage on top of them, to have power on them? And the moment that you on purpose rotate TOs and the moment that you do those things, in a way, you're constantly keeping the power on you because nobody has enough time to build any power. So I think that's exactly what's happening right now. That's my read of the situation right now. Developers mm-hmm. have decided that they don't want anyone to have power over them. Why would they?
2: You
1: know? Yeah, it's not, it's not worth it. It's not worth the headache, right?
2: Like, mm-hmm. So, all right, uh, I'll, I'll counterpoint that one. Riot run, Riot for the first, God, I don't know how many years, ran runs the LCS, runs all the production, right? Um, but recently, for Valorant specifically, they've now outsourced a lot of their productions in each region, right? They use Freaks for You. They use um, who was it, uh, Nerd Street, in, in the U.S. So there's a lot of other companies now that they're outsourcing it. So why would why would you shift for a model? I mean, I can the tell answer you that
0: is it's actually very simple. Yeah, all
2: mm-hmm.
0: these other companies want to get in business with Riot. All of them are right. operating as a loss. All of them, meaning mm-hmm. all of them are willing to lose money to get That's in bed with, with right. Riot. Correct. Mm-hmm. Which means right. that Riot is thinking, okay. If I do it myself, it's going to cost me $20 million. But if I associate myself with these other teams, it's going to cost me $15. Fuck it. And they actually even release liability. They don't Mm. even need to actually be guilty of anything that happens, you know? You guys deal with it.
2: Right. So now when you get to that point, now all the TOs or the providers start fighting each other, right? Like Nerd Street will fight esports arena, will fight esports engine right in theory would fight all of you guys and then whoever comes out the cheapest right which means you guys have to undercut each other to get in bed with go. Riot in theory there you go, right now the interesting thing is like that now detracts from all the quality of the product that you're giving and people don't like it so it's always this weird cycle of okay well we're not getting more revenue or we're trying to squeeze the revenue and we're trying to cut the cost so we're trying to split on both ends of it and that's what I think is destroying a lot of the ecosystem at accelerated rate is like we're trying to see the graph go. You know, we're trying to see revenues go up and costs go down at the same time. And it's like, yeah, good luck with that one. Like, when you can run a business. Last chance, like that. Qualifi-
0: last chance qualifier yeah. is this right here. Last mm. chance qualifier was an incredible product with incredible games that was done very, very cheaply to try to run costs down while they were trying to drive revenues up. So they signed a betting deal, and they cut costs when everybody was remote. That's it. This is it. Mm-hmm. This is it. This is exactly the perfect manifestation of this. But the key thing is, this is not happening right now. I don't want to throw any more names because obviously I need to have at least three friends by the time I finish this podcast. But companies have been undercutting each other for a very, very, very long time. And inside esports, there is companies that had raised so much money that they could operate businesses a loss. On teams, on TOs, on everywhere. And there are teams whose business is making everything so expensive for everybody that nobody can do anything. But that's the business model because they have so much money that they're not okay. They don't need to have low salaries, low thing. They can hide behind saying, we just want to be competitively better. But that's not what you're doing. You're putting so much money in so everything gets so expensive Then then the little guys cannot afford it anymore. I think there is like bond the river. Is that the term in poker, you know?
1: esports engine is a very large very large company we're like 250 plus people at this point and uh yeah it's pretty crazy we're
0: growing a lot i think so do you think that is because you successfully have locked the developers is that the key of the success or what do you think is the key of your success
1: I think tons of developer relationships. And then it's all just like spreads through word of mouth. Like we don't really do much outbound. It's all just like game devs bringing RFPs to us and wanting us to do it. Cause I think we are like genuine, like generally expensive, but I think the product is what they're looking for in terms of quality.
0: And I can understand why the community job that you guys did was amazing. Yeah,
1: there's way less risks. on their side of like associating with all these esports teams. And, you know, we're, we're talking about Carlos, right? Like just being, I mean, Riot And them aren't completely white label because they do have these partnerships with teams, but it makes sense why they're, you know, very like politically correct. And, you know, not really having any tolerance for anything that might be controversial. So definitely going to have like a, you call it like sanitization, right? So
2: Mr. Beast is a better chance of getting a spot for league of legends than anybody else now like all these people do so much stuff like riot understands like the people that got you from a to b from league of legends the lcs to franchising are not the people to get you from growing valor to a global game and those people eventually down the road if you're looking at it in five years if you know when we go through the first iteration of partners those people might not be the same ones who you put into the new riot fighting game or the new riot mmo or whatever it is um you know it's just going to keep growing and the people that are the most amenable to work with for you know keeping them in check and you know you can have a little bit of a fight with them because you can't just be wholly like yes you're the best thing ever but you know it's on their. T- you can be collaborative but it's on their terms right so
0: okay so i will finish with this thought what is the good thing you have to say because you have to end up with a good thing you know
1: i think that you guys are sounding the alarms right I think you guys are woke to hey the system's a little messed up, and I think we're you know the the uprising is coming you know, it's it's the shakeup right the economy's crashing it's gonna be massive consolidations across eSports only the big will survive, and then the small will have to grow into something else I'm optimistic There's positive the there <laughs> <laughs> I'm optimistic man we're, we're making progress, right I think okay, we can all agree eSports like kind of sucks or at least it kind of sucked the last 10 years that we'll like we built this for 10 years and the end product was not good so like do we want to do it again maybe okay yeah. money will come back in one day the investment will return um but not not tomorrow
2: hopefully a bit more scrutinized i think mike what is with, your happy thought my happy thought i don't have happy thoughts man i'm the 21, uh i'll give 21. you one i'll give you no no i'll give you my uh my zen i'll give you my zen quote dude it's like the you know the esports is changing, and it's not good nor bad. It just is. Um, but realistically, I, I do think you know, like Peter said, like it's change is coming, and I think we've been doing things a certain way. I think we've been following a certain model for so long, um, and you know it's shown results. But I think that's a res- I think that's a byproduct of the overall ecosystem where like money has just been flying around, um, and it's been readily available for anybody. It's been um, you know it's been very bullish. A lot of risk taking has gone on, and I think people are a bit more cognizant now. Of, you know, how to build something stable, um, or how to build something in a, in a more responsible way, and I think that's you know a positive change for the you know the overall ecosystem is let's get people who are actually focused and like maybe like on my side right what I would deal with daily is like maybe the player salaries kind of normalized to what the revenues are, right? Maybe the advertisements change, maybe the sponsors and the engagement, the expectations they start shifting into more, I would say realistic and you know incremental growth instead of you know exponential returns i think if the ecosystem can start focusing on those things um as a result of kind of this correction and consolidation i think it'll be in a much healthier place because i don't think esports is going anywhere i don't think it's going to die out i think it'll continue to evolve but i think the evolution has to be one towards uh you know more responsible um you know more responsible ecosystem and i do hope you know right now it's a very competitive environment i do hope that a lot more people work towards a collaborative effort because I think that's one of the biggest things that have been missing across most ecosystems is just that it's been, you know, everyone's fighting, racing to the bottom. Like, let's not do that. Let's bring each other up in this field. And I think that's what we're seeing. Like, sure, a lot of consolidations and a is driven out of almost necessity because, like, you need to survive. But I'm hoping that that survival mechanism ends up becoming an actual hey, you and I can work together. We can build this thing and it's really cool. We can put our resources and expertise together and grow. And it's more of a, you know, I would say a benevolent process as opposed to a, uh, you know, a malicious one. But I, I would say that's, that's the hope is that, you know, the Phoenix from the Ashes type of, of model.
0: So <laughs> I will give you my happy pretty thought. happy. My happy thought is that as much as sometimes the developers want to feel that they have all the power, The power is in the community. Full stop. Preach, brother. Full stop. So if we can either inspire, educate, or get the community together, the world changes. They move mountains. Because the game will have to adapt to what the community wants. But we need to figure out how to get players organized, teams organized, and community organized so we can all together work to create the world that we want. While we are all divided, we are all at the mercy of the developer. So I love Dota because Dota is the game that has made in a way my eSports career that I made my friends in. I have a group of loyal friends and the community has been the best part of Dota. But the Dota community right now seems to be very salty, very toxic and very antagonistic. So we need to figure out how to really listen to what the community wants but the community also has a responsibility to help create the change that they wish in the world. Maybe they should be funding money or funding things outside of the battle pass if that's what they want. If they want to crowdfund events, let's create the crowdfund ability to do things outside. And that is my positive thought. If you're listening to the podcast right now, you have to decide or think, what do I want Dota to be? And then you have to decide and research what are the steps that you can take to be part of that change. Because you have a lot of power because advertisers come where you go and see. The world changes when you go and see. Because at the end of the day, all we're trying to do is get users, get views, get attention, and get all this time. So instead of just being like a headless chicken, you know, just in a way being at everybody's mercies and then complaining the whole time, just take a second and figure out who are the people that you like that are doing what you want and how do I help them create this. Sometimes help is just support. Sometimes it's just watching their videos, putting comments, putting likes on this, you know? Support a variety of people because not only you don't want only OG to survive, you want OG to survive, you want Secret to survive, you want the we say things to survive, we want you want videos to survive, we want all of us to survive together. And then we as teams, we have to create monetization tools for you to provide the support where you want it. But also we have the responsibility then, we have to create authentic value for you against that money. And I think that that's my positive thought. My positive thought is that until there's no funds in Dota, Dota is still here. You know, it's still here. It just feels that very, very dark and very, very pessimistic because maybe the appetite for the battle pass is not there. So then there is compounding shit together. The appetite for a bad battle pass is not there. The optimism of the optics of the community on Dora is that this dying because it is. And then we are all in a way compounding on that. Okay. Stop the whining, which I have whined for two hours today, and then figure out how we can do something new together with the smart people and passionate people. And let's go back to the beginning community driven event for me is I need to figure out how to do another community event I need to figure out how we do a BTS event because that's what I wat- watched when I got into Dota I became an EG fan watching you Peter at a BTS event so I know that there's a lot of people that are going to enter into Dora if they have those events because those events were personality fun hanging out with your friends and Dota so yeah that's my thought <laughs>